when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. for the judges and this multi-millionaire mogul now has the best kind of goal. It is off the podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for a massive, massive interview. You are going to love this one today because we are speaking to a history maker on the show, an Australian Olympic skeleton racer. You may have heard of her. Her name, Jackie Narricott, Olympic silver medalist at the Beijing Olympics, two-time Olympian in the sport of skeleton in both Pyeongchang and Beijing, but of course created that historic moment at the Beijing Olympics by winning a silver medal, the first ever sliding sport medal for Australia at an Olympic Games. And if you remember back to our coverage in Beijing, Jared and myself absolutely went off at Jackie winning that medal. It was an incredible moment, probably our favourite of the Olympics and uh, still one to this day that uh, very highly. You'll hear me talk it, particularly in the beginning of this interview, how much that moment meant to myself and the show and everything along those lines. Jackie gets a very big head in this interview, let's be honest. But this is a great chat, learning all about Jackie's journey, of course, very famous uncle, uh, one of Australia's uh, two people in the history of the Olympics to have been in both the Summer and the Winter Olympics, uh, Paul Narricott, of course the other, being uh, Jana Pittman, and just a, a journey from her track and field days watching the Sydney Olympics, why the Sydney Olympics really spurred her on to become an Olympian, and that journey, the switch into winter sports, of course, initially tried to hand a bobsleigh, how then she switched into skeleton, how close she was to Sochi in 2014, Pyeongchang experiences, her husband, of course, winning a bronze medal in Pyeongchang and what that experience was like, and the amazing story she tells between Pyeongchang and Beijing, there's one moment essentially that was a, a sliding doors moment, you'll hear us talk about it in this interview, that very much could have taken her on a completely different path. She might not have even been in Beijing and might not even be a silver medal, obviously that would mean. So it's a, a very interesting and, and unique story here with Jackie about how just one moment could have changed everything basically, and uh, how she could be talking to us today in a completely different way. But this is a fantastic chat. Jackie is amazing to chat to, and you are going to absolutely love this interview. Here is our chat with Australian Olympic silver medalist in the sport of skeleton, Jackie Narricott. Australia first competed at the Winter Olympics in 1936 and over the 20 Olympics that Australia has competed in, won a total of 19 medals 
at the Winter Olympics. Pretty good haul if you uh, speak to most people in terms of uh, how Australia you would think would go at a Winter Olympics. Of those 19 medals, 16 of them have been on snow. Two of them have been on ice skates and only one of them has been on a sliding track and that happened in Beijing from our next guest. She won a silver medal in women's skeleton. It was one of the best things we had ever seen on this show and in an Australian Olympic history, I want to say. And outside of that, a World Cup winner. She's done so many things outside of the Olympics and has such a great career. And I'm so excited and pumped to learn about this and everything else in between from the one, the only, Jackie Narricott. Jackie, it is such an honour to have you on Off the Podium today. Thanks for having me. It's it's exciting because I, I, I still don't know if, I'm over the fact that you got a silver medal at the Olympics. I mean, I, this is me. I didn't do it. I, you did it. I, I can't imagine how you're feeling. But, I mean, this is something that was so great to watch. I mean, have you have you gotten over it yet? You're an Olympic silver medalist, Jackie. <laughs> uh, no. The, when, when, whenever it comes up, there's just this stupidest grin that goes across my face because it, it's ridiculous. And, like, to, to think that finally – one of those like, little shiny pieces of metal is, is actually mine. It's still like so cool. It's, it's amazing. And I just, I think the thing that we talked up so much during those Olympics and the fact that this is such a big deal for the sport in Australia and sliding sports in general, because this is in a sport where, I mean, where is the nearest sliding track? Is it, is it in Korea? Is it basically Pyeongchang is the nearest one to Australia? So, I mean, this is the equivalent of, I guess, if we didn't have a a swimming pool or something like that, and you somehow go to an Olympics to win it. So, um, I mean, even in that intro to hear that, that all of those have been won in that different sports and that, uh, I should have warned you before this interview, Jackie, that you're probably going to get a very inflated ego because we're very big fans of yours on this show. And we love the fact that you got that medal. So just pre-warning you, uh, this might be the best interview you've ever had in terms of the fact that you're going to feel really good at the end of it. Perfect. Great, great way to like go into the, the final six, six weeks of training before we get onto to ice. <laughs> Good. All right. Keep that positivity. And I will say uh, the fact for our, our video viewers as well, I'm already loving the background. You've got a, a couple of your husband's sleds in the background, but I see Bing Dwen Dwen. And I do believe you've got your shiny piece of metal too near you already, which um, there it is. Look at that. That is just uh, fantastic. I don't think we've had a, a guest bring the metal out that quickly as well. So uh, I, I mean, uh, save, it's, save it's the question. Pretty. Yes, <laughs> which I, I love the fact too that it is, is so nearby because uh, I think if I ever had one of those, yeah, it would never leave my sights. But let's, I love the story of how you obviously got involved in the sport, Jackie. I mean, you've got a background, of course, from track and field. Your uncle obviously has a bit of history. We'll talk about him in that aspect. But when you got into track and field uh, when you were younger, was that sort of something that you just drew you to it? I mean, what was it particularly that took you to track and field before you did make that switch to skeleton? I loved it. So I guess having having Uncle Paul and kind of the the background of, of in terms of what he'd achieved was, was part of it. But then watching Sydney, and I think I think by that point we'd had I had my first proper um, athletics carnival and done okay enough, but just loved the feeling of being able to run fast. Particularly, and I think at that point it might have even even been barefoot, which was just the best thing. Um, then then Sydney happened, and watching the Olympics on holidays and watching all of you guys just absolutely smash it in front of hundreds of thousands of people 
that then cemented the the fire of it. That's what I want to do. And I remember like uh, getting mom to like, right, I want to do the lays, get me into that. And we, we walked in to to sign on. And the first the first thing like, well, like, do you want a trial? No. <laughs> there, there is no two-week trial. I just want to do this. Sign me up. We're in. <laughs> and, it, and it kind of went from there. Wow, that's that's crazy. I love that inspiration from watching the Olympics because you, you cover another question there too about generally we are sort of do you grow up watching the Olympics and get inspired by that. So I guess ticking two boxes there gets you into a sport and then was it also the dream of I want to be the next Kathy Freeman, I want to be the next Melinda Gainsford-Taylor, you know, all those big stars that we had back in Sydney, of course. Yeah, it was, it was definitely Mel, um, but I also loved watching um, – Tatiana Grigorieva and, yes. and Paul Volt, Roman Thompson, all of the the sprinters and the the jumpers were the the kind of, were the the girls that I really wanted to to follow and and emulate or ideally get a medal that well Tatiana did but the our sprinters haven't done yet. Which I mean, God, Sydney. I mean, we always obviously always remember Kathy, but of course, yeah, I hooked on Tatiana back then. I mean, I was a thirteen-year-old boy. Of course, I like Tatiana Grigorieva, yeah. but uh, also, I mean, jumping jai in the long jump because I believe obviously you did a bit of sort of the the jumping sports a, a, as well, and all the other great sprinters that we had. Nova, of course, switched from hockey into into sprinting in Sydney. I mean, it was just such a a great time, and and you really felt, I think, because I think you're a little bit younger than me, but similar age, but you felt at that age like. You got to know these athletes, didn't you? Because it was so well publicised and it was in our own country, as you said, and it's just sort of you kind of got to know them. They were our Aussies. They were at the Olympics. Yeah, it was. And the the whole buzz around the the country getting behind all of our athletes and the Olympic atmosphere and I'm an Olympic tragic. The, there is no other right athlete. Show. If, it's, <laughs> if, it, if it's on, I will be glued to the TV. Um, I remember for 2012, I was living in Perth and obviously other side of the world, stupidly setting my alarm at like 3am to get up and watch Sally Pearson run and all of the, all of our athletes was like, right, well, I want to watch these things. So I'm going to get up at 2am. Why not sleep in the living room? (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's what you do. That's what you do. Which did you then yeah. sort of get hooked on on the Winter Olympics at all? I mean, sort of a couple of years after Sydney, of course, uh, we got our first, uh, you know, golds with Stephen and, and Alyssa. I mean, was that something that you also got hooked on to with the winters as well? To a certain extent, I think it wasn't quite as as big, but that that could have also been the coverage wasn't quite the same um, back back then. I do remember vividly watching, or at least remembering. Alyssa and the enormity of, of her achievements and the enormity of bribery achievements, obviously. Um, and anytime Alyssa or uh, Leah Laszlo or Jackie Cooper were on TV because they'd done these awesome things and winning all the Crystal Globes, I would just be like glued to the TV, watching them on like, Sunrise or the Today Show or whatever show they happened to be on until their segment was done. And then I'd just go off and do, do whatever. But yeah, anything to do with people doing amazing things on the sporting field, I was front and center. I'm, I'm surprised that Uncle Paul wasn't just making you watch bobsled all the time. I mean, kind of, was that a case that he would just be like, no, Jackie, come on, you know, bobsled, that's where it's at, you got to watch this. <laughs> nah, he was also in a different different state. So we, we were in Brizzy, he was in Canberra. Um, right. But I do remember at one point we were cleaning out Grandma's shed or something and stored under the house and she pulled out Uncle Paul's uh, bobsled spikes. 
but seeing seeing them was was cool and then i think my first pair weren't that different <laughs> good good to see it sort of keeps that way which i mean outside of athletics uh, were you very sporty were you sort of trying your hand at all a bunch of different sports uh, besides athletics as well yeah athletics was my was my first love but like at school love playing softball um I was a goalkeeper in soccer for for a little bit until I snapped a collarbone and did my knee too many times. Um, yeah, it's a special talent I've got of doing silly things. Um, and yeah, eventually just kind of whatever whatever I could do. I think growing up it was mainly athletics and softball. Um, wasn't I mean at that time winter sport it had to be netball, which I played but didn't really love it. And then got the chance to try to try soccer and a whole bunch of other different things. And yeah, it was, but athletics was, that was the. And how was that the, progression the then sort of going before that switch ultimately came to Skeleton? I mean, was this something that you were progressing up the ranks to a point where the Olympics was a possibility maybe if you had to keep going? No, I, I realized by 16 that I wasn't quick enough, um, which was then when I really started to look at other, other options and when goalkeeping kind of came into it where mum found a, a QAS advert for um, talent ID for looking for, for goalkeepers. So I went out, went over into um, QSAC and, and tried, tried out for the goalkeeping um, spot at, there and did did well enough to to get invited onto that. Um, just basically trying to trying to find any route possible to get me to the Olympics. I didn't necessarily care what sport it was. I just wanted to get there, um, but kind of by 20 yeah 1920 I'd kind of given up well yeah come to the realization that maybe it wasn't going to happen that I, I wasn't fast enough I wasn't jumping far enough probably also wasn't taking it seriously enough if I'm really honest <laughs> um and then just happened to be in the right place to try bobsled and it went it all kind of fell into place from there because so I was going to ask you that conversation ever come up from your uncle like I mean was that something that you saw the fact that he had done that 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 was a back of your mind thought that hey bobsled this could be an option um I don't remember ever having the conversation with him it was like he he never like forced it or suggested it was always just a more driven by me knowing that okay well uncle Paul went to went to LA went to 92 in Albertville like I'm still fast-ish. Granted, I'm not like the fastest, and then that's fine. Um, but hey, let's try it. And like, if it was one of those one of those things where if the opportunity came up, I was always going to jump at it. It was just w- whether that opportunity would come up. Because I I remember interviewing many years ago Emma Lincoln Smith and talking to her about sort of that transition into skeleton and. I believe from memory she'd gotten an, a letter in the mail sort of inviting her or saying that this is maybe what you're suited for, try skeleton, which because, I mean, at that point too, it had only been at, what, two Olympics at that point before 2010, so it was obviously still a, a fairly newish sport, which and only, what, I think three Australians women had competed by 2010 in skeleton as well. So, I mean, when you're trying out bobsleigh, was there ever the option for skeleton or did somebody tap you on the shoulder and go, Hey, like Bob said, you're okay. But have you thought about skeleton? That's pretty much what happened. Um, so I was training with one of our brakemen back in Brizzy and they were like, well, we need, we need to need a spare brakeman. Do you want to come across? 
sure, why not? <laughs> Let's go to Europe, why not? And see what this is actually about. Before I even set foot on ice, I hadn't pushed a sled. I'd been in Europe for about maybe three days, wow. <laughs> just kind of getting, getting to, the, to the track for the first time. And I met our skeleton coaches and they were kind of like, well, you're too small to be a bobsledder. Have a think about skeleton. We've got a development camp in March. This is March, of, would be March, March 2012. Um, have a think about it. Uh, okay, well, let me try bobsled first. It's the reason I'm here. <laughs> I haven't gone down. I, let me go down the track and figure out whether I even like this sport. <laughs> and then <laughs> then we'll kind of go from there. Um, and it was always then in the back of my mind because we were on World Cup with bobsled and skeleton and bobsled compete basically side by side. Trainings at different times, but we compete side by side. So you kept kind of like seeing different things. I don't think I ever actually saw a skeleton sled go down the track, but it was always kind of in the back of my mind about, well, you know, this, this could be an option. Flagged it with mom. And she's like, yeah, sure. If you, if you come home from, from Europe and you've still got money left, then be my guest, go for it. Sure enough, got home. Like, right. So uh, the US, shall I go? <laughs> she's like, fine, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Which, I mean, what was that experience like then when you went down in the bobsled? Like when you tried it, I mean, you obviously liked it enough. I mean, you went on to win a medal at the Olympics, Jack, so clearly you didn't hate it. But I mean, do you remember that first go in a bobsled at the first time down at a track? I remember it being rough. So my first time was down Koenigsegg in Germany, which is a really short, fun track. It's one of my favorite tracks in the world now. Um and just having no idea what was going on because head between your knees, you don't see a thing. <laughs> yeah. Kind of got up and I'd been I'd been warned by our driver, Astrid, um, that I was probably gonna feel a bit sick at, at, at the end of it because that's just how it goes. You never done this. It's a roller coaster with your eyes shut, essentially. <laughs> um and yeah, sure enough, I was like, I have no idea what happened. She's like, Do you want to go again? Yes, I want to go again. <laughs> <laughs> Correct answer. I mean, were you like a were you a roller coaster fan? Were you like a ride girl growing up? So I mean, I can imagine if you are, that's probably yeah. a little bit helpful. <laughs> Very helpful, yeah. The the faster the roller coaster, um, the more more times I'm doing it. Perfect. Well, that that definitely ties out then. Which so at that point when you then ultimately decide to make the switch for a skeleton, I mean what's that first time like on a skeleton? Because you say you sort of, you know, head down, don't see anything in the back of a bobsled. A little bit different in, in a, on a skeleton sled, isn't it? It was so nice being able to see everything. So how you start on a skeleton, you start from uh, basically halfway down the track. We started from corner nine of 18 in Lake Placid in upstate New York. And they just, they lie us down and said, lie there, don't move, we'll push you off and we'll catch you at the bottom. All right, fine. And then, because at that point, we think we first run I don't think we hit 60k an hour so you can at that speed you can see everything and like <laughs> I remember track walking and even just going down and suddenly like okay so I'm down here what do you mean I'm gonna be three meters up in the air <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> but real quick you're like okay first one okay that was fun second one all right that's it I'm switching sports and then within like I think it might be the next day we were looking at speed going okay like how do we hit 60 then 70, then 80. How, just how do we go faster? Wow. That's crazy. That's sort of that quick that you're just going to go that way and kind of really want to experience that, which, I mean, what's that phone call like to mum then? Like, hey, mum, so I'm in America, tried this, really like it. I'm going to be a skeleton athlete now. 
I'm not sure she knew quite what it was initially. Dad, <laughs> I think dad claims that he had some idea. Um, and I think they was like, okay, well, at that point, n- none of us knew what we were in for <laughs> from any point of view. Uh, yeah. I, I was very lucky with the sense that at that time we still had a program. So I kind of, I came in on development funding and there was a bit of, a bit of support to get going, thankfully. Um, and then, yeah, it was a, <laughs> well, let's try and get faster and stronger and let's go around the world. Yeah. Which, I mean, which we always find with so many of our winter athletes, you know, that funding and everything, particularly in Australia with the sports and you know, kind of just that, that financial aspect of it. So, I mean, when you sort of get that with the program you're talking about, is it kind of just enough money that can get you to certain events? Are you having to go straight out and sponsor? Like it sponsors, I mean, how does that then work once you make that decision? I'm, I'm going to hit the World Cup. I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to go towards an Olympics. Uh, so first year, I think we were, what did we get? I think they paid for our flights first year and then and gave us, we got, we got a sled, we had to buy our own runners because um, they wanted like wanted some investment from from our point of view, so that we weren't just giving weren't just giving everything. Um, and then we had to pay for all of our accommodation and car, uh, I think cars and food and all all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then year two it was was the reverse, thankfully. <laughs> so we paid for our flights. It was definitely the cheap way of doing things. <laughs> um, and they they did everything else, um, but then when Sochi didn't, didn't, didn't go to plan, <laughs> everything got pulled. Um, so I owed mom and dad the world. I've, in, I've spent my inheritance doing, <laughs> getting, <laughs> trying to get this medal. Um, well, it's paid off though. Because, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're entirely bad about it. Um, <laughs> like uh, I've tried to get sponsors, probably not as hard as what I could have, but being, being in Oz when, you really need money is is hard when some people just want to give you stuff like, all right, stuff's good. Stuff's not going to get me around the world. And I really just need money, please. Yeah. Because it's obviously Um, like going back to that point about the facilities. It's not like you can just go into your backyard and do it. I mean, you are having to travel to fully do this properly to go to tracks around the world. Yeah. Um, And then that makes it hard because then if you're trying to like, like what can you give sponsors in return? Like, well, I can't then put you down a push track because we don't have a push track. <laughs> I can't send you down, send you down a track from halfway down, which is completely safe. But that requires getting you halfway around the world. Um, and there's no TV, right? So, and all those kind of things that you potentially in, in other parts of the world can offer sponsors. It's just not, not there. Um, I think some of the bobsledders have had a bit more success. Um, but again, part of that is also, I think, my personality in just, I'm going to get it done. I'm the one who wants to do this. Some way, somehow, we'll, we'll make it work. And um, and if there's outside help, I also think, yeah, just the, I I hadn't done anything at that point. So I, I part of me was also like, well, I need results behind me or I need something to make me worthwhile sponsoring like who's just going to come out and give this kid who's done nothing in a sport that no one knows about cash mm. <laughs> to, to yeah. go and maybe maybe be good at it 
It's crazy to kind of think that that level which you've got to go to. I mean, I can't imagine then when you've got to buy a sled. I can't imagine that's cheap. I mean, how much does it cost when you're getting started off and having to get yourself a sled? The sled that I've got now costs six thousand pound, so about twelve grand. Wow, jeez! And I think that was with one set of runners, and runners are about between four hundred and eight hundred pound a set. Wow. And if you hit concrete, they're done. Jeez. Um, or if they get if they get a good size ding in them, they're done. Um, yeah, they're. <laughs> That's insane. The, the sleds are precious, but runners are definitely the thing that we try and keep away from everything as much as possible. And is that just the sensitivity? Because they've got to be a certain, I guess, material, something that they've got to work on ice. Whereas you're saying, like, if they touch concrete, they just they just put. Uh, it's more because of the friction. So the they're they're all still still runners. Um, and there's a there's two grooves and a spine kind of cut into them, which is how we get, get gripped to, to, to steer and go straight <laughs> down the ice. Um, but yeah, like if there's a little uh, nick in them, well then that makes them slower because friction is everything. Mm. And the, the, the running surface needs to be as smooth as realistically as, as possible. So yeah, if they hit concrete, like concrete, you're not getting that out without completely ruining the runner. Uh, little nicks from maybe like, getting a piece of sand in the in the runner and like we're talking like a tiny tiny grain of sand can can do some pretty serious damage at 130k an hour i can imagine so that's what i was saying uncle paul's kept his you know because i mean i guess once you've used them a few times even you use them once you want to i mean it's a memento at some point you've taken them to the olympics but i mean that's that's crazy to think that a pair of shoes can be that much people buying yeezys and air oh, jordans no, no, i mean no. come on <laughs> Not sorry. When I I should, should explain this. When I say runners, the the metal um, uh, not rails. Um, I can't think of the runners is the only one I can think of. So the 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 two of them that that run down either side of our our sled on, oh, on the other side. Oh, like the actual ride. Not, okay. Not the yeah. the, there you the, go. The I'm thinking shoes, but okay, that's. See, there you go. That that's um, you know, skeleton noob right here, Jackie. So uh, that's that that, that, that makes entirely sense. My ball too. Yes, yes, but that but I can understand that now. That makes more sense as to well, you wouldn't want to put them on any concrete because uh, you know where where's that yeah. going to go with that? Which which itself, which I guess like putting together a sled and the the finicky nature and and technical i know we've spoken to say some of our bobsled guests and, and luge guests about sort of tinkering with the sleds and i mean is that a similar thing that you know you can if you're a certain track you can tinker like the the runner to you know pick up a tent or two if you're feeling it in the track a little bit different here and there 100 percent, yeah um i tend to play more with my with my runners and my sled set up i've got my sled set up the way i like it so the the responsiveness is is similar every time um but then the different tracks have different characteristics and then the weather too plays a massive ball in terms of how the ice is and then whether you can get it whether you need a sharper runner because the ice is going to be super hard and super slick versus a runner that doesn't have so much grip because the ice is softer or you just the way that the corners are you, you don't need so much control right which then if you have a, a technical issue, I mean, do you have a certain amount of spares available? So say, for example, at the Olympics after run two, you're winning, but all of a sudden, shit, it's tapped the concrete. Does the AOC or you have like one or two spares? Like, fuck, you're out. Too bad. You, you're winning right now, but you've got no runners left. Go home. Uh, I took 
we took six sets of runners to Beijing, but they were all different cuts. So the problem then, some people travel with a race set and a training set of, of, of each cut. I don't have the baggage space for that. <laughs> Most people don't have the baggage space for that. Um, <laughs> the Germans sorry, probably yeah, do. The They've got a few things, right? And <laughs> They've got everything. And a, and a cut. <laughs> <laughs> and a cast of thousands and about six bobsleds to ship it all with too. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> makes life easier. Um, so, and like, actually on that, um, if you hit concrete in a race or anything like that, we can't change runners between runs in a race with the exception of the Olympics because uh, the Olympics and world champs, you can change runners between days. Right. But on, on race day between runs one and two or runs three and four, you can only adjust the amount of bow that's in the the sled, which is which is the, the contact patch for the for the runner. That is all you can change. So if you, yeah, happen, I think there might be mitigating circumstances. So if you like, if you really hit something in the track, maybe, but then you need to get a jury approval, and wow. it's complicated. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So that's like why sometimes you, you're really wanting to stop hard and I mean you've obviously got like a bit of a mat or something to slow you down if you go a little bit too fast, but you don't want to all of a sudden forget to break because if you clip something and damage it, then you can't really do much to fix it. Yeah. And the the tracks are only ice up to a certain point. So mm-hmm. if you go past that, it's game over. That's crazy. I was watching um I can't remember what track it was, but I I was watching some of the World Cup of the bobsled in the lead up to Beijing. And there was one track where, yeah, there was a very short stopping point. And the commentators kept talking about saying that, oh, this is, you know, ridiculous how short of a, of a breaking zone they've got. Cause all the bobsled just kept going off. It was kind of funny if I'm being absolutely completely honest. <laughs> that, that would have been the Eagles in Austria, either Eagles or the Plum, which is in France. And <laughs> the reason I say Eagles immediately is because that breaking stretch sucks. come around come around the final corner 14 it goes uphill for probably 50 meters then you go around another corner and then it goes flat wow so (laughs) if you haven't gotten rid of enough speed coming up that first corner coming up up that first bit you've got to break stupidly hard and immediately um like for for us it's hard enough so we hit we hit pads and hitting those pads is a nightmare. The only injury, well, touch wood, most of the time, the only injuries that happen in Eagles happen in the outrun because you hit the pads and the pads just send you every which way. People have like flipped, gone like head first into the short wall because the pads, like if you don't hit the pads straight on and one runner catches but one runner doesn't, then you spin. Wow. And at that point it's just You think they'd chaos. get the, the gist of that, that maybe there's an issue there. Maybe they need to extend the runway or something. <laughs> Yeah, but in order, so we've we talked about so many times that we just need to blow up the the end of it and start again. But the problem is they then run into a ski hill. So the only way to make it better is to completely blow up the end of it and just make it one long breaking stretch up the up the hill, which requires a whole lot of infrastructure that they're probably not going to do. Yeah, <laughs> got to suck it up and deal with it. Skiers ruin everything, Jackie. Let's be honest; it's always those skiers that, that do that. Um, you mentioned. Sochi. So you get started, what, around 2011, 2012. So was Sochi uh, a possibility? Were you aiming to uh, make it to Sochi that quickly? In my head, yes. Realistically, no, um, <laughs> because <laughs> we still had <laughs> we had four in, four incredible incredible girls on the program as, as well as me. So I was only, yeah, at the end of my second year when, when Sochi happened and I needed 
two girls to get hurt badly enough that they weren't going to be able to compete. And I didn't wish that on anyone. Like that's not, that's, and I wasn't good enough. There is like, (laughs) there is no way I would have been good enough to compete in Sochi. I would have been so far out of my depth. It would have been a horrific experience. So I'm quite glad I got to watch it from, from, from the U S and just sit and do, do a bit of of training and, and learn from them and watch them and, and, and do that. So yeah, whilst, uh, whilst I wanted to go, I was like, yeah, I'm sure I can, I can do this in two years. Yeah, realistically, not a chance. Because, <laughs> But I can imagine, though, that you've got that Olympic dream and you've switched to a sport where, realistically, it's a better chance of you making the Olympics versus, yeah. say, track and field, that it must feel a lot closer. That, yeah, okay, it's a bit of a pipe dream that I can be ready for an Olympics in two years starting a new sport. But, I mean, I guarantee you right now, Jackie, if I started track and field tomorrow, I am not going to Paris. So, I mean, it's obviously a little bit more realistic that you can just sniff it a little bit to get a bit of a taste. Oh, yeah, for sure. And particularly when you're around people who are talking about the Olympics and world champs, like these these words that used to be just spoken about in terms of, yep, they're a dream, suddenly come right down into, no, this is a realistic, this is a legitimate possibility um it it changes things but also it made me drive a bit harder okay let's let's do this it's it's close this is as close as i've got let's keep going do you get any sort of inspiration i guess you would probably get inspiration from your uncle but can you sit down with him say when it's getting closer to 2018, you're on the cusp. I mean, is there anything that he can give you an advice that can kind of help you with a mindset of, of getting to an Olympics at all? His advice the whole way through would basically have fun, enjoy it. Um, and I think I'm going to get the exact wording wrong. I remember in the the weeks leading into Pyeongchang or around that time anyway, he was like, make the most of it. Most people only get one shot. Try and make it so that your one shot is what you've always dreamt of. Because who knows if you're if 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 you're getting back, it doesn't always go to plan. But embrace it, enjoy it, and just go for it. And does that help? Does it? Did you follow his advice? I mean, you're a two-time Olympian, you're an Olympic medalist. I guess something of like that probably helped along the way. I tried to. I think the the advice of have of make sure it's fun, and when it stops, stops being fun, then it, it's time for for it to it end. He did carry that with the fact that it's not always going to be fun. Like not every day is going, is going to be fun, but the overarching thing needs to be something that you still enjoy doing. Um, uh, Pyeongchang, I think looking back for where I was in my career and who I had around me and, and all of that kind of thing, it went, it, it went, went okay. Um, personally, I won a top 10. I thought I was good enough for top 10 and it didn't, didn't pan out that way. Um, there was also the, I didn't quite anticipate the uh, emotional effect uh, and ups and downs of watching Dom win, win his medal. And cause we, we competed that night um, I, I didn't quite take that <laughs> into account. Not that I think that I think it just it just took the edge off the adrenaline a little bit. Um, but like my runs in Pyeongchang weren't weren't terrible. There was probably one well that 
Quarter nine, and I did not get along the entire time I was in in Pyeongchang. Um, so, like a couple of corners didn't go well, but it was it was still a, a good experience. Which do you think, looking back on it now with Beijing, that it was good to get an Olympics over and done with before then going to a second one? Like, I mean, let's say you had gotten to Sochi and gotten that initial Olympics out of the way, that maybe that could have benefited Pyeongchang. Because we often find that a lot of guests will talk about how, you know, you go to an Olympics, you got that goal ticked off the list, you get the first one over and done with it, the second time right now, I'm an, I'm an old hat at this now, I'm a veteran, I know what the Olympics are about, the pressure and all that sort of stuff. So do you think that experience helped then going into Beijing? I think it did. But then also Pyeongchang and Beijing were, were polar opposites in terms of just the entire atmosphere, and obviously because of the pandemic and circumstances that were well and truly outside of our control. Um, I think it, it would have been would have been good had they been had they been similar. Um, but even then, I think our sport's one of those unique sports where you don't necessarily need to go to one to then medal. Um, as was evidenced by the girl who won Hannah. Um Beijing was her first Olympics. Came out, it comes out and just smashes everybody. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's a. I think it it helps, um, but it's not necessarily the the be all and end all. Without without sport, at least. We, I mean, we always like hearing general Olympic experiences outside of competing, and obviously, as you say, Pyeongchang very different to Beijing. So I can imagine each of them have their own uniqueness about them. But I mean, particularly say at Pyeongchang. Were you taking in the atmosphere, you know, pin trading, bumping into people in the village, going to watch other sports? I mean, you're probably celebrating a bit with Dom as well with his medal. But, like, I mean, sort of were you outside of the competing? Did you make the most of that on your first Olympics? Definitely, yeah. So we were fortunate with Pyeongchang. We got in a couple of days before we started training. So you kind of we got in, got the massive excitement of, holy shit, I'm at an Olympics. <laughs> kind of out of the way, like running a muck in the village, trying to get trying to get settled and figure out where everything is, pin trading, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then we settled in, you're right, time to compete, let let's train. And then once race was over, it was okay, what events are we going to? Um, what I didn't party quite as much, mainly because I was too busy, like going, right, well, we can go up the mountain, we can go down the thing. <laughs> There's so many different events I want to go and watch that we never get to see. Yeah. Um, it was it was, was fun. What was your favourite? What did you see in uh, Pyeongchang that uh, stood out to you? Short track. That Ooh, was yes. incredible. We were there um, one of the final nights and it was there, so I think it was 15,000 people packed into this tiny stadium we had the we were opposite the the North Korean cheer squad, so why we we'd heard all these things about them, and then to see them kind of wow. in action because they had that, that chance sort of dancing that they were doing, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and in perfect unison. Yeah. Um, it was, and just like watching them go around that track at speed, it was nuts, and just the the whole crowd going into everything. And if there was a world record, particularly if there was a Korean world record. Mm. The pole, like the, the roof lift off the stadium, it was crazy. Because, I mean, of course, they love short track. They're pretty good at short track, the the, the Koreans. So, I mean, that, that's insane. And, again, you, you can't, like, obviously, you go to an Olympics, you want to go to another one, right? But you cannot imagine that in four years' time, there's basically going to be no one there and you're not going to be able to go and watch these events. So, it's kind of, it's it's great that you're able to soak that up, really, at the time. 
yeah, our, our accreditation is basically a go anywhere, get into anything <laughs> to a certain extent. <laughs> Pass like that. All of the the open air events, we could just go and go and stand in, in the athlete zone for the uh, for the aerials event. We got to go up and watch. I can't remember whether it was Dave or whether it was the girls. It was one of them. Might have been Dave actually. And so it was the the camera crew, mm-hmm. a walkway, and then us. So we were like wow. getting through. It was snow from them stopping. It was it was very cool to be so close. Fantastic. I mean, you were you, you were there when Dave was robbed, right? We're still not over Dave getting robbed. Oh, in, 100%. Uh, yeah. Pyeongchang. I mean, come on. Yeah. And do you get extra access with Dom's medal? Does he just like bring that around with him, going like <laughs> bronze medal? I get extra, you know, access right now. <laughs> He didn't use it anywhere near as much as, as, as what he could have. I think it was uh, in his in a locked drawer for a, a good oh, part of the good part of the games. Come on, this is what you got to do with these things too. But I mean, just sort of backtracking a little bit, when you qualified for the Olympics and you knew you were going, going back to watching Sydney as a little girl to that moment. I mean, I'm guessing that's a moment you will remember for the rest of your life when you knew at that point you'd achieve your dream. You you were an Olympian. Yeah, uh, I remember we were in in St. Moritz trying on our Olympic speed suits and the first one put it on and saw the ring of my chest and like happiness. Because <laughs> at that point, so Pyeongchang, we had continental, continental spots and that was how I got to go. Um, but yeah, it was, it was still a, all right, we're on. And then like getting the accreditation and all the, the little things, just like, yeah, okay, this is... I, I love hearing about those little things because it is like, you know, obviously like the uniforms, you get all of that and just, but like, I'm glad you mentioned the accreditation because I'm, I'm like you, Jack, I'm an Olympic geek. So I can imagine that just little things, even probably just like a, here's the AOC book of what you do during an Olympics and things like that. I mean, do you keep it all? Like, have you got scrapbooks and just boxes filled with like all these little Olympic things that you've gotten over your two Olympics? Scrapbooks? No, but... All of it's next door in like in varying boxes and bags. We've got so much kit; it's ridiculous. Because <laughs> like the, the the amount of, the amount of kit that we get is nothing on what the Brits get. So mm. Dom, like for every bag of kit that I've got, Dom's got about three. Wow, it's nuts. That's insane. Which I mean, it's sort of it's interesting, obviously, because there's a, obviously a bit of uniform trading going on at Olympics. You don't, you've got Dom's. You just trade. He's got enough, right? You know, you probably get a few of him to trade with some people as well. Oh, I'm British. Half of it. You go get some of my stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, the I think my my favorite stuff's probably from from Beijing. Is we were a bit more not discerning, but traded traded with with people that like all all my mates. Like, okay what what do you want what can we swap so everything that that i've got i now know who like whose it was which is i think a little bit better than my swap from pyongyang and you always wanted the canadian stuff in uh beijing right because they had lululemon that's that's basically right like get get the canadian kit they've got lululemon (laughs) yeah and i just happened to have a couple of very good canadian friends (laughs) i got some of that stuff it works out well right it definitely works out well which between Pyeongchang and, and then Beijing, obviously a uh, bit of an injury. Um, what happened in that crash and just that recovery? Because I believe you basically didn't hit the track again really until the months leading up to Beijing, did you? Uh, not quite. So I never crashed. Um, it was kind of a, a long, drawn-out process. Um, tw- so first runs back after 2018. 
um, in Calgary in Canada. Came around corner uh, called Chrysler, which is a 360 degree corner, and I hit a bump on the track, which is there if you if you're on a certain line, you hit it. If you're not, then you don't. Smacked it off track with a headache. Okay, let's run one. I'll go again. Let, let's see what happens. <laughs> run through, hit it even faster. Like, by the time I got to the Chrysler in Calgary, it's corner 10. By the time I got to corner 12, I wanted off a sled. Like, no, this is, <laughs> I'm out. This sucks. My head hurts. Uh, at the time, I had no one with me, so no coach, um, definitely no physio, no doctor. Kind of had to eventually, over the next couple of days, put it together that it was concussion because I couldn't look at a screen for more than like 30 seconds. I was tired headaches, all that kind of stuff. Didn't slide for the next probably 10 days, I think. Went to Whistler, got back on track, um, did first half and was sliding quite well from what I remember. Um, and then it was, was second half after Christmas, got back. Uh, Eagles and I don't have the best, well, haven't had the best of relationships anyway, which is the track in Austria. Um, but even then I was unusually emotional for, for runs that weren't particularly bad I was still in tears after every run and according to friends afterwards they were like yeah you were you were out of it like we were asking you questions and there was just nothing there didn't race that got to St Moritz the following weekend and St Moritz is the best track in the world because it's hand cut from snow every year there's no vibrations there's none of the bumpiness that we get with some of the other tracks and it made me feel dizzy and it was at that point, thankfully, I was working with the Canadians um, and their their Cairo and both of their coaches were like, we don't feel comfortable sending down the track anymore. You need to, like, you're done. Sit out and we'll we'll reassess every couple of days, like every, every 24 hours from here on in. <coughs> um, got back up, got back to the UK after that. We were going home anyway. And by the time I got back to the UK and the adrenaline started to, to wear off, I was walking around town and I'd feel drunk within 20 minutes. And this is, this is walking on flat ground. Wow. Um, so eventually they diagnosed me with post-concussion syndrome, um, had MRIs done, spoke to neurologists, um, just, just trying to figure out what was going on and like just how bad it was. Um, didn't compete for the rest of the year, obviously, because it was by that point they were post-concussion. No, nah, <laughs> you're done. Let's not risk not risk it, particularly as we were going to Lake Placid in the US, which is rough. It, it, it's my favorite track, or one of them, but it's really rough and not the greatest for your head. Whistler had World Champs, and that's 140 with 5G, so that's also not great for your head. Um, and it took six months for me to get the full ticket of approval from doctors and physios that I could return to, to full training. But then there was the, so that was June, I think, June, July. And then there was still the, all right, well, I haven't tried the one thing that's actually going to either cause this to be okay, uh, to like be career ending or or not. Um, had to have that lovely conversation with my sports psych about, well, what happens if I get to Whistler and I'm dizzy? Mm. What happens if first runs back? Don't go to plan. Like I had to be okay with it being with with going to one Olympics in going to plan from my own expectations. Um, but thankfully, it all went okay. Wow. <laughs> so 28, 
the 2019-20. That that whole season was was okay. I was very very mindful of the the load that I was under on on, on track, and if I had any form of symptoms, then I was was done. Um, and it was it was a learning curve. I think definitely a silver lining because without like without the concussion, I don't figure out that my depth perception was out. My my eyes were converging way too soon so trying to like train them to to be normal and at least have a, <laughs> a better range of of depth perception which in a sport where you need to steer at very specific points in time suddenly it all makes sense like there were often times where i thought i was doing what i was supposed to but i was doing too early so like well okay that makes sense i think i'm here but i'm actually so far like much further back in the corner kind of makes sense so then wow. the, the performance started to get better once we figured out that um, and then just monitoring my head and my neck. Literally a silver lining, though. I mean, pun intended, it's sitting next to you there, yeah. uh, Jackie. But that, I mean, that's that's crazy to think that that sort of happens and then it leads to that. But, I mean, that run you talk about, like when you go to Whistler, knowing that this could be it. I go on this. I'm dizzy. One Olympics is all good. I guess I'm back to the UK and I'm, I've got to find a new career. I mean, how daunting is that when you're on that start line knowing that literally this run could be it? I think that run was the most nervous I've ever been for a skeleton run. And I started from from corner six in Whistler, which is I'd never started that low down that track in my entire career. So to, to put the pride aside and that note, this is how it needs to go. So we were we were very strategic in as much as we could be at that time of year um, with where I started. Because then uh, OWR like, well, is there a beginner track you can go to? Like, no, that's not, not, not quite how this works. Um, but they, they they were still learning anyway. Um, no, but I can start as far down the track as as I can. And if we go to Whistler. The ice is always is always smooth, so that that's one thing out of the way that we don't need to worry about. And yeah, it was just slowly and then gradually building up. I think I spent two or three days from corner six just to make sure that yeah it was okay, and then progress back up and then yeah. And then relief, yeah, you're fine, yeah, you're ready to go basically. Getting that final tick of approval of like runs, I think I think I need to do probably. Th- might have been six runs from the top of Whistler before they would officially clear me because to in order to to compete you need to do at least two <laughs> so two wow. or four um but like yeah getting getting that final tick was like okay Jeez. Beijing is still an option let's go <laughs> what an incredible sort of sliding doors moment right there just to think that you know things could be so completely different from from that point on and I mean from then I mean the good news is, you said Beijing, uh, it, it happened. I mean, before we get to Beijing, though, obviously the World Cup gold, I mean, I remember sitting here seeing the news and we shared on our page and obviously it got a bit of coverage here in Australia, you know, what, 28 days before the Olympics. You want to win your first gold medal at a World Cup, Jackie, you do it within a month of the Olympics. Uh, yeah. I mean, is that, that that moment then, I can't imagine the confidence is, is as high as it's ever been in your life where you think, well, fuck, all right, then bring on Beijing. Yeah, it was it was that concrete evidence that I'd been longing for and searching for for ages. Like, yeah, I really like this. Really, is a possibility, and I can match it with the best in the world. And it's yeah, the the whole season I'd been I'd shown glimpses. Like in in training, I'd be I, I was top ten quite quite often, and 
there were there were a few times where it possibly could have happened, but I just for whatever reason I hadn't learned enough lessons, and it just had to take until till the the moment in Winterberg where I which is the week before Saint Moritz where I was like fine, whatever. If I don't medal, I don't medal. I'm going to a second Olympics because at that point when you it was it was kind of cut and dry by that point. Thankfully for me, at the right. It is what it is at this point. I'm going. Double Olympian's pretty good. All right. And then funnily enough. <laughs> really, yep. That that final little bit of tension that needed to be released, released, and it all just fell into place. It just happened. That's that's incredible. Which I mean, does it obviously it adds a bit of pressure because I guess uh people in Australia maybe you get a bit more media attention on you in the lead up to that but I mean is, are you somebody who thrives on that pressure do you like the eyes on you you know more people are watching you now given you're going into the Olympics with this yeah it, it was cool I still didn't expect people to watch the, the number <laughs> of people who said after me that, that they stayed up to watch I was like no one does that no one's able to watch me compete forgetting of course <laughs> that I was sitting in gold and that <laughs> it would have been massive news because um, we in in Beijing, once I got off got off the track and I was sitting in sitting first after day one, I'm like okay, we need to avoid everything. Like this thing, this needs to stay as calm as possible and avoid all the distract. Well, outside distraction, we needed to keep my brain distracted as much as possible, so I didn't, didn't run the next twenty four hours over my head too many times and get too excited. Um, but yeah, it was a, I, yeah, I still run out of words. It's, I, I mean, I can't imagine what that is like going to sleep that night, that after two runs at an Olympic Games, not only you're in a medal position, you're in a gold medal position. So I, I think it's a smart idea to kind of get distracted. Did you get to sleep that night? Like, I mean, like, how do you go to bed that night knowing what the next morning could potentially bring you? I did. The, the hardest part was the following day because we had about – 36 hours between the end of run two and the start of run three because mm. the run run three wasn't due to start until like eight o'clock following night so the after day one with i think we got back into to the version until like lunchtime so getting to bedtime wasn't too bad with getting ice bath done like recovery and getting sleep prep and kind of the standard post well mid, mid-race stuff done it was then trying to kill the time between <laughs> waking up the following morning and getting <laughs> getting getting to, to race time without me using up all my energy um yeah i mean we worked it out that i think at one point i had like when we tried to kind of split the day so got up at normal time went through everything then mid-afternoon i went and we like had tried to, to properly go back to sleep so that when i woke up again it was time to kind of go back through n- normal race routine because we quite often race in the morning so get up get ready right no time to think let's go because i can't imagine you, you just you know you wake up and get on your phone oh cool that's what's happening and you know let's put on a show dom let's watch something like i mean it's just a regular sunday for you at that point is it when you're leading <laughs> an, an olympics at that point <laughs> it had to be though in order for it to, to go as well as what it did we had to try and make it as as normal as possible. So I I didn't look at social media. I didn't like basically just turn my phone off because it was the the best way for me to stay in the little bubble that we'd kind of created. Um, and Dom was 
amazing. Dom did so much of my sled, like sled prep and just let me kind of chill and do whatever was going to keep me distracted and off. Because going back to my point I asked about Uncle Paul, but like, I mean, obviously with Dom being there four years earlier, getting the bronze, uh, I can imagine he, outside of the coaching aspect, can provide you with a bit of advice. I mean, does he do that? before round three, round four, I mean, kind of what does he say to you uh, on, on the cusp of uh, a moment which he obviously experienced four years earlier? He was super nervous. He held it. To, I had no idea how nervous he was. Um, not sure whether that, that says how much from bubble I was in or, <laughs> or how well he <laughs> hit it. Um, but like in the in the weeks leading up, I think even that the, the middle night, I'm sure I asked a question about like, like how do we handle this? What did like what did you do? Because he was sitting in bronze overnight in Pyeongchang. How did you handle it? What do we do? I'm also very fortunate to have a very good sports psych and my sprint coach as well, who are like just gotta be good enough. Done the hard work, have some fun. You don't have to try any harder. Clearly it's working. Just go and do and have some fun and enjoy it. And what'll like what's meant to be will be and who knows? Which it's just insane to think that feeling I can imagine. I mean, we saw the footage of you when you cross the line on run four and just the reaction you have because you've won a medal. You know you've won a medal. It's going to be gold or silver, of course, at that point. I, I mean, have you processed it to this point where you can describe that into words? Because, I mean, your emotions and your face say it all at that point. But, I mean, what are you feeling at that point? You've won an Olympic medal. So coming up that outrun, it went from absolute elation. So the, the outrun in, in Beijing has three different steps. Um, so you come up uh, across the finish line, up the first one, and then that's when you see a clock. But also the second one, there's like a, must be the second one. <laughs> Flat to the first stop, up another one. Then you get the clock and the clock has a rank and then your, your finish time. So I saw the one and the fact that it was green, I just going, yes. Because <laughs> at that point, and like the, the whole point of skeleton is like if you find final run for, for race day, you want to come, you want to cross line and see it one. That means you've mm-hmm. held your spot. It's going to be you're, you, you're not dropping any further down. And then that final one is like, wait, was that right? Does that mean what I think it means? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I need to break. Trying try, try to check the, the, the big screen, like, okay, yeah, no, that, okay, that, that is right. I'm not imagining things. <laughs> wow, that's that's insane. And then at that point, it's that weirdness, of course, because you get put in the little box where you're waiting for then Hannah, which, I mean, you don't wish anyone to crash, Jackie. I know you don't. Uh, you're all friends and everything, but I'm sure there's a bit of you that goes, oh, like, if you're going to crash, I have a bit of a fuck-up now, Hannah. Now's the time. Like, you know, just a little bit, little bit here. <laughs> yeah. Stay on the sled. Be okay. Yes, yes. But if you kind of crumble, I wouldn't be mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but, that, like, but that being said, I was with Kim, one of my good mates from the Netherlands who, who got bronze, and we were both in Leah's box watching Hannah. And like, Hannah's, Hannah's first run on the run, run three was like three times faster than mine. I, I was stoked with my track record. And the next thing she comes down and takes three times off it. I'm like, cheers, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no. If you beat a track record um, and want to get beaten by someone, you want them to like, you know, better that right, you know. Yeah. But then watching Hannah's final run, Kim and I were just like, it was 
probably I think it was the best run of the entire like two days. So we're watching like as much as I would love to win this thing, hmm. being beaten by 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 that run, you're okay. Like well done, fair play. <laughs> yeah, that was good. There's nothing I can really like pick apart in that run. Which it's it it's uh, the thing that I love about sort of obviously seeing your reaction, Hannah's kid like. It was maybe the happiest podium of Beijing. Like there wasn't a single, like it wasn't like you were like, oh, fuck, I lost gold or, you know, like it just every one of you looked so happy. I don't think I saw a happier podium. I mean, you all just looked over the moon no matter what (laughs) colour of metal you had around your neck. I think all three of us created history. So like Kim and I obviously were the first ones for our countries. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Hannah, I think, is the youngest to ever ever win gold, at least in sliding female german to win a gold too was she not i think as well um yes which i mean yeah the dominance the germans have on the sliding track yeah but like obviously not quite the gold which um they nearly got the sweep in uh in beijing if it wasn't for kaylee of course in in the monobob but it's yeah i mean it's just the three of you just the thrills and then, then dom's reaction i mean obviously dom's probably happy there but i mean this part of you guys sucked in you got bronze i got silver i did better (laughs) Yeah, but the 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 best part was that I didn't have to save it because everybody else was saying it for me. Like, yeah, you know, this, this is great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I You're can gloat without gloating. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it must be a nice little moment for the pair of you, and the fact that, as you said, sort of back in Pyeongchang, you can share that emotion. So you you know what it was like for for him in that aspect because you were on the other side of that in Pyeongchang. So now he's there. So come Milan. I mean, it's just old hat now. It's just kind of like, oh well, medals. Oh yes, right. One of them had an Olympics. Okay. <laughs> we need gold. Yeah. One, well, you got to complete the set. One, right? one I'm missing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One that you got to complete. The thing, though, going back to my introduction, and, and obviously just what it has done for the sport in Australia. I mean, a lot of your interviews afterwards, I loved how your focus was straight away was, well, this is going to create the next generation. We need more girls. We, we need more people in the sport. In the time that's passed since Beijing to when we're recording this, have you had many people contacting you? Have you seen much of that? And if not, what can we do, Jackie? How we how can we get these girls and guys to, to get into Skeleton now that we've had this success? From what I've heard from our federation with the um, testing camps that we've had, not a lot's happened, which sucks. Um, wow. And part of me feels guilty about that because I'm not in Oz. I'm in the UK and I feel like maybe if I was home, Maybe there might be something we can we can do about that. Um, but for now, that the the reality is this is where I need to be. Um, so hopefully, there's something. I mean, we'll get to come home. We'll get to come home at some point. Um, hopefully, for the next next testing round. Um, I think because we need more bobsledders, and it's it's I guess it's it's easier to get into bobsled. They're being funneled to bobsled. I I don't know, but. Yeah, it sucks. I, I don't want to be be the last. Yeah, well, I was going to say, crazy to think that more people go into bobsled because, I mean, I picture it skeleton. It's more individual. You've just got one sled. That seems more you don't need a team. I know mean, you've got monobob, but, I mean, it, I don't know. Like, surely skeleton's cheaper and easier. Like, bugger off, bobsledders. Come into skeleton. Come on. <laughs> uh, it is, but the success can come quicker with bobsled. Right. So if people want to get to an Olympics in four years' time, which is the point that that's what it is, 
bobsled's the easiest option because if you're fast and powerful, you can pick up pushing fairly easily because, and all respect to bobsleds, I, I know how hard, how hard it is to push, um, but there's not that driving aspect that you've then got to learn and the feel behind it, and which I'm sure Ash and, Ash and Bree know all, know all too well. Um, mm-hmm. But you can come in as a very fast, very powerful sprinter and learn to push a sled and be quite successful at that fairly quickly. Whereas the driving side of it takes four, six, eight years to to learn. So it's much more of a, a longer term term process. And I think maybe until we get, unfortunately, the funding to at least help these kids get get on ice and get some of the basic equipment behind them to, to begin with to try and lessen the the initial outlay. They get a fair chunk of money to be expecting and asking people to to outlay to try a sport they don't know if they're even going to like it so if we can i think probably the easiest way around that might be a push track if we can get a push track put it in brisbane brisbane's becoming the home of winter sports and else somehow yeah. well they've got an olympics <laughs> too they've got a winter olympics technically in 10 years jackie so i mean it, it works <laughs> yeah yeah if we get a push track then we can get these kids and I say kids, like anyone, kind of twenty-ish. Um, get them to at least try going head first. Try pushing a sled, or even like try pushing a bobsled. And go, okay, do you like going head first? Are you quick pushing a sled? Do you get the hang of it because it's fairly coordination intense? How I've managed to do it, I've still got no idea. Um, <laughs> coordination's not the best. Uh, and then we can go, okay, all right, let's get some funding behind you to go to one of the development camps. And then, and then go from there. That's the the development is the is the biggest thing, and needing a a program and a good coach. Because one thing to send these kids off to to the US and Europe to, and go down with the um, development coaches, but if we don't have a, a consistent coaching, then we're kind of pushing pushing shit uphill for lack of a better a better term. It, 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 um, it fits the situation there, I think. I, two things that are coming out of that, Jackie, that I'm saying, and, and all the respect in the world to our bobs. We've had plenty of bobsledders on this show, Ash, you know, Bree, Sarah, Kiara, they're, they're good friends of ours on the show. But I'm saying this right now, bobsledders, lazy. Take the cheap option. <laughs> they they just they don't do the work. Oh, I want to go to the Olympics in two years. Lazy. And second of all, we need a movie. We need they, They've got cool runnings. They're, oh, bobsled, cool runnings, yippee. Where's the Jackie Narricott story? I want the Jackie Narricott cool runnings movie by Milan and then we're going to have a whole influx of the next generation of skeleton races. That's how we're going to fix this. Lazy bobsledders and a movie. There we go. <laughs> Don't kill me, bobsledders. I don't think that was not, that was not I, I take the blame for that. I think I've lost Bree and Sarah and all that. They're not coming on the show anymore. Um, you know, I, you know, where's their medal? Jack, they've got World Cup medals. Good for them. But where's their Olympic medal? Come on now. Just it, It's got a bit of extra weight. And it's a heavy thing, right? That that medal's a heavy medal, isn't it? Yeah, that thing with half a kilo. And I swear the box that they gave us to protect it is like another half a kilo again. <laughs> Great for the the carry on back home, I can imagine, right? You've probably already got your weight limit, so you know, yeah, sled runners, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's it's a pointless question to ask because you've literally got it next to you. But I mean, 
is it a – I always like to find out what you sort of do with the medal. Is it something that you're going to put on display? Do you still sort of just carry it with you because it's this cool, shiny new thing that you've had now for a few months? I mean, sort of what are the plans with it? So we've got a display case, um, which was where – which we got after Dom's medal. So we had, had to had to it. It had uh, Dom's helmet, um, his his mascot from uh, Sahurang from Pyeongchang and his medal in there. So right, well, helmet's coming out. <laughs> it is sitting on a Union Jack flag, but at ah. least our flag has part of that anyway. So true. For, for, for now, it's fine. Um, yep. But yeah, the, the two medals are in there side by side. Once we uh, once we get a get a house, and then I think we'll probably get them both both framed properly, along mm-hmm. with with uh, Dom's Dom's bibs are up minor. The the plans are to to frame both of mine, and then we'll get them displayed properly somehow. And have that empty space for the gold, of course, for, for Milan. You need that that Actually, third one there. Yeah. And the most important artifact behind you, I mean, you mentioned Suring. you got a big Dwendwen. I mean, God, they've sold out everywhere. You've got the real deal, right? So, like, I mean, this is yeah. this is more precious than the silver, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we were told, so um, Alyssa Camplin was uh, Deputy Chef to Mission, yep. and when we got that, she was like, do not let that thing out of your sight. <laughs> Keep it in your hand because otherwise people are going to nick it and they're going to sell it. We we initially thought the, the, that we weren't getting one. Because of how our podium went, We there was eight minutes between Hannah crossing the finish line and us walking out for our medals. And we got, our, got, the, got the flowers, which are actually crocheted, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either way. So we, we, we got, got given them and all three of us were like, huh. Happened to our mascot? Like everyone else gets a mascot. Why aren't we getting a mascot? <laughs> what do we, why do we get ripped Where's off? Where's my big dwindwin? <laughs> yeah, but then when we after we done all like done the mix zone and then walked into the press conference, ours were sitting on we're sitting on the, the desk of the press oh, conference. So best moment of the day. That's but I guess where they're that, good. <laughs> there it is. Thank you very much. Which uh, I mean, yeah. it's just it was fascinating how they sold out. And I think I literally looked up on eBay the other day, and I still think they're selling for like three hundred dollars on eBay just for a basic Bing Dwendwen toy. They were hensy even even in the village. We weren't looking. We didn't do a whole lot of exploring the village pre pre race. And I looked at one and went, ah, yeah, maybe because this time around the only ones we got given were a little like keyring, basically. Whereas in Pyeongchang, we all got given uh, Suharang and I've forgotten the Paralympic mascot, but we got like reasonable sized ones of that And Band B, I think. Uh, I think yeah. we called it Surang and Boorang on the show, but yeah, Band ba- yeah. B, yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Bing, Dwen Dwen wins the day. Go. The best mascot we've had, I think, since Izzy in Atlanta. That's what I say. I mean, God, what a. Yeah. What a, Brisbane's got a lot to work up to, I think, for 2032. Uh, I mean, I don't know they we do. could get it. We could we get a Jackie mascot. I mean, you're from Queensland. Put you on a skeleton sled. Like, I mean, you could be the mascot <laughs> for 2032. That could work. That'll be fine. I cannot wait to have a home Olympics. It's going to yeah. be awesome. Winter Olympics too, Jackie. It is technically in winter. It is in <laughs> July. So I'm just saying we could push the AOC and the Brisbane Organising Committee to include Skeleton. We get a home track. There's an excuse to build one in Australia. You've got the Jeff Henke Centre. Like, where's the – there's a sled vert. Now that you've got the – we want the people in Skeleton. The silver medal needs to bring some money and funding with it. Boom, track, Brisbane. There you go. Problem solved. 
There you go. It's that easy. I mean, they're cheap. I'm sure they don't yeah. cost much to build at all. That's why there's so many of them in yeah. the world, right? You know, I've got one in my backyard. I built it on the weekend. I was bored. I was like a skeleton. Yeah. I can do that. So, uh, I mean, I'm going to wrap up with the fun get to know your questions in a sec, Jackie. But obviously pushing towards Milan, everything along those lines, I can imagine right now. But if you have one hope, so obviously getting people involved in the sport, you've got the silver medal with this massive breakthrough. But 10 years' time if we were talking, and it is, you know, in the lead-up to the Summer Olympics, would you, would you like to have seen, outside of your two gold medals that you will win in 2026 and 2030, would you like to see, I don't know, like a, a certain amount of girls, like a program? Like what would you like to see in 10 years' time with Skeleton in Australia? I would love us to have a, have a fully-fledged program again like we used to have and be consistently competitive on the World Cup Tour again. We, we've done it once. The, our girls were always pushing for medals. There is no reason why we can't do it again. We just need to get the athletes and the funding and the, pers- and the personnel behind us. And who knows? The world is our oyster. Get rid of those lazy bobsledders. Just get out of the way, girls. Come on. <laughs> Skeletons coming through. We've got the Olympic medals. There you go. Skeletons um, more fun. Exactly. Head first. I mean, God, like you said before, you've got your head behind somebody else. You can't see a thing. Like, I mean, where's the fun in that? You know, just like you want to head first straight. Luge, what are they doing? Laying down. No. Lazy. Come, come on, Alex. No way. You need to, you're pushing off the thing. You're not even running. Even lazier. Luge, even lazier. Don't get it. Exactly. Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> these questions that we like to wrap up with, Jackie, these were a set of questions that were given to Team Canada athletes ahead of Pyeongchang and Beijing. As always, there is an option to draw if you want. It's not compulsory, but uh, if, you, if you're bored today and you want to do some homework, uh, draw your favourite animal, uh, draw a teammate. You can draw Dom. I don't know. Uh, but if you want to... Flick it to me in an email and we can put it on our social media with this interview, but no, no pressure there. It's, it's completely uh, optional. And I'm seeing here, so I'm using the questionnaire that was given to uh, Jane Chanel. Uh, did you race against oh, yeah. her constantly or still do? Uh, so Canadian. Her and I are very good mates. There you go. Well, I'll compare your answers. Let's see. <laughs> let's, let's get competitive here to see that. Uh, first question for you. You're allowed to answer your own moment if you want to. Your favourite Olympic moment is... Ooh. I stumped her. That's a hard one. I, there's too many going through my head. Give us some. Um, you can multiple options. Let's go well, for it. Okay. Well, obviously, Bradbury, obviously. Yep. Um, Lydia winning gold in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Lydia being the first to complete a quadruple twisting triple somersault in Sochi. That was yep. sick. Uh Oh, summer. Anna Mears, because yes. I adore her. She's crazy. Queen Anna. In a, in a, in a, in a very good way. Her, her comeback story is, and yeah. just her story in general is ridiculous. Oh, what else we got? I like some of these. Some of these were no, like not, not many people answering her, and I'm, I'm glad you did. Sally, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. These, I mean, also contenders Very as well. For <laughs> cauld, cauldron, cauldron lighting in Brisbane. You know, I, I've already, you know, I keep selling. My idea, Jackie, is, is, is I keep selling on this show is 
Kieran Perkins comes in, great Queenslander, goes to light it. He falls over. Stephen Bradbury picks it up. He lights a cauldron. I think that sells itself. (laughs) But if you don't have Kieran involved, you could have Sally. You could have Anna, you know, yourself. Uh, You know, so many yeah, exactly. Oh, the list Susie. Is, is massive. Come on. How is, I mean, I'm sure that he's – are they not going to rename the Gabba the Susie O'Neill Stadium or something like that? Like, uh, I don't know, they're, they're all the – too many Queenslanders. There's too many good ones <laughs> out there. Um, uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Either flying or trans- uh, transportation? Like teleportation? I'm, I'm definitely, teleportation. Yeah, teleportation. that's what I was looking for. You can have both. On this show, you're allowed to have multiple. You, you can have them both. Uh, your f- <laughs> well, I bagged out Cool Running, so screw that. Uh, my favourite sports movie is, uh, besides your own biopic, Coming to Cinemas 2025. I mean, Cool Runnings is, is definitely high <laughs> on that It's a, good movie. It's, it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're, just, we're just trying to step, step away from, you know, bobsled, too much uh, promotion there. Uh, your funniest childhood memory is... Quite open question this one. It's you know, it's, there's a lot of childhood memories. I'm sure you've got. Yeah. I like Jane's answer here. Playing in the mud with my brother and sister. <laughs> she, she played in the mud. That's <laughs> yeah. what they did growing up in Canada. Apparently, that's standard. Yep. Yep. Constant. Yep. Oh, my funny story. If you don't have one, we can skip that one. I've got no idea, yeah. No idea, no. All right, we we can skip that one. Uh, Your favourite pump-up song is, you have a song that gets you sort of in the zone before you go down the track? So I'll I'll, I'll give you two because there's one for gym and then there's there's one for sliding. Okay. Uh, My one for gym is Back in Black, ACDC. Good choice. Like really heavy squat session, tired, just need to get that last set done. That's the first one that that comes on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for sliding... I went with so my the last two songs I was listened to before before particularly race runs are Dare to Dream, which is the Olivia Newton John John Vaughan one from Sydney. From the opening ceremony and in then, Sydney. Yeah. Uh, and then Permission to Shine. Ah, I like the, yes. the lyrics in that. Good choices. I, I like that sort of Sydney two thousand because that's a great song. That's uh It's a great well, song. Do you remember the um we talked about this recently during Birmingham when Vanessa sang in the closing ceremony her Heroes Live Forever from Sydney 2000. Yep. Great song. That gives me chills still to this day. Oh, soundtrack. I may there. have had that soundtrack on repeat for a little while. <laughs> I may have too. Um, and I, I, another thing, can I, I want to put this out in the universe. I'm selling it for Brisbane as well. It's been a while. We're going to get Savage Garden back together and surely they're going to be like they've, they've not how long has it been since Savage Garden have performed together Jackie this would be bigger than the Olympics opening ceremony Darren and Dan like come on Powderfinger too Oh yeah loving well, I mean, How many like this this, this is, stop it Queensland just stop it All right I'm from Tasmania nah, we've got like two people we can put up Queensland half the population it seems Yeah exactly god oh, come on Tasmania um the most recent TV show you binge watched is The Block Oh okay <laughs> Yeah The Block okay. there's there's a few kind of like home improvement shows that are 
on heavy rotation. <laughs> is that is that you're hinting at that there's some home improvement going on in the Narricot household? Is that sort of where it's going? Oh, or I wish I I did an <laughs> interior design course over over COVID, so that's kind of where I want to go post post sliding. So any, but I've always loved all those kind of shows. Well, I'm just saying, if Channel Nine are listening, you and Dom, the block. I mean, you know, sells itself. Come on. Like, just helps out there. Uh, your least favourite foods are? Tomatoes. Ah, yes. Fellow tomato hater. Good. I'm glad <laughs> yes. they exist out there. Just, yeah, not a fan either. Um, Jane's are strawberry and, and asparagus. So. Yeah, I re- remember, the, remember the, the strawberry thing, yeah. Okay, you slip some asparagus in there if you wanted to not do well the next day. Uh, <laughs> you 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 might have just answered this one. Uh, if you weren't an athlete, what would you be? Now, now I mean interior designer, but I, I did also do sports science at uni. So one nice. of the one of one of those two. One of those two. Uh, Jane answered a dinosaur expert. Um, so. Yeah, one thousand percent. That that girl loves her rocks. Oh, wow. Okay. Good and, to know. And dinosaurs, obviously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, your favorite vacation spot is? Coolangatta. Oh, nice. Good the, spot. Which... The, the beach in general, but yeah. Anything summer related, I can imagine, after all the uh, the winters Pretty that much. <laughs> having to experience there. Um, what is something people usually describe you as? <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is stubborn. <laughs> you can use it. That works. Yeah. Want to use it? Okay. What would you describe um, yeah, Jane as? I'll see if you see if you match any of her answers here. Ooh. She's put four here. So. She put four. Hmm. Right. Also appreciate she's got a picture of her on her Instagram here working out in a dinosaur costume. So you're right. She loves a dinosaur. <laughs> Uh, rock nerd. <laughs> she and I, and I say this nerd. because there's a there's a specific shop in Canning's that we go to when when we're in Canning's that she just absolutely loves. <laughs> uh, do you want do you want me to, uh, do you want me to give them to you? Naked, I, I can naked cat lady. <laughs> I wish she had to put that there. Wow. Ah, uh, she's put coachable, hardworking, patient, and persistent. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that works. All right. They're, um, they're much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think she should have put that, those that you said. They sound much better to me. Um, if you could be an Olympian in any other sport besides your own, what would it be? Uh, there's a couple: beach volleyball and snowboard cross. Yes. Good answers. Summer and winter as well. I like that. Uh, yep. Plenty of time for before Brisbane for both there. Jackie, if you want to, you know, replicate Uncle Paul, summer and winter, why not? <laughs> you could do the same. Um, growing up, who was your favourite sports team? The Maroons and the Lions. Queensland girl. And then, and then every kind of Aussie Olympic team, naturally. That works. Exactly. Can I just say, at the time of recording this, Go Lions uh, for for the uh, yes. the final. I'm I'm a Carlton supporter, so I obviously have no no one to cheer for in the last few weeks. But uh, I'm definitely on uh, on the Lions uh, this week, as long as it's not Collingwood. Come on. Um, and your guilty pleasure is uh, 
I appreciate it. Jane says, watching reality TV in the summer. She likes Bachelorette, The Bachelor, and Big Brother. I was going to say, uh, answer at Mickey's, and then there is a reality TV show called Say Yes to the Dress, which uh, is yes. a wedding dress-based show. So, yeah, that's the, yep. those two. Do you, so you're just watching that while eating Anzac Bickies basically all the time? like uh, Naturally, yeah. Perfect Sunday. Sit there with the Olympic yeah. medal around your neck, just chilling, like, you know, kind of going going that way. Jackie, this has been a lot of fun. Before we let you go, social media, people, where can they sort of follow your journey between now and uh, Milan? Instagram's probably the best, which is at jackjac underscore <laughs> Perfect. And also, if, if anybody listening wants to get involved in Skeleton what, and they're listening to us in Australia, like, what can they do? How can they get involved? Message me or go on to the Bob Slay Skeleton Australia website and get in touch and we will figure out a way to get you tested and then from a strength and conditioning point of view and then get on ice. Simple. Sounds easy. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a message after this and we can get me on the ice as well. Jackie. This has been an absolute honour and a pleasure to have you on the show to learn about your journey, everything else. Uh, congratulations on the medal. I know it's been a few months at the time of recording this, but still many, many congratulations. One of our absolute favourite moments from Beijing. And we look forward to getting you back on in a couple of years' time with a gold around your neck. Complete the family collection, Jackie. Come on, we can do it. In the team comp. Why not? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Massive, massive thanks to Jackie for her time. Such an honor and a pleasure to talk to her. I told you you were going to enjoy that. Such a great chat. And watch the video interview. Head to our YouTube page. Search her off the podium. You can see Bing Dwen Dwen. You can see the medal. Uh, Fun story. Before that interview actually started, I I commented on her amazing backdrop. She had a couple of her husband's sleds behind her. The Bing Dwen Dwen. You can see it. And as soon as I sort of mentioned that, she quickly uh, was like, oh, the medal. And she basically (laughs) moved a couple of things and out comes an Olympic silver medal. So uh, I I love the fact that even before that interview, she was like, shit, got to get the medal out. So uh, always get excited when our guests bring out their medals and uh, show it off. So if you want to see that, of course, head to YouTube as well as all of our other great video interviews there. But an amazing interview with Jackie just to think that that one run going into Whistler could have changed everything. That a simple case of being a little bit dizzy after that and no Olympic silver medal career over. Absolutely incredible to think just one moment could have changed everything there. But an inspiring story. And get into skeleton. People listening, what's going on? How can we win a silver medal at the Olympics in a sport and not have an uptake and people wanting to try it. I'm, I'm saying it right now. Again, apologies to Kiara, to Sarah, to Bree, to Ash about what I'm going to say, but bugger off, bobsledders. Get them into skeleton. Come on. We've got an Olympic silver medal there to show for it. So uh, obviously great respect to the bobsledders. They're doing great things out there in the world scene, and we do love all of you, but uh, we would obviously like to see that uh, payoff in skeleton with Jackie's success. And uh, please, Get involved in the sport uh, out there. But Jackie, obviously all the thanks in the world for your time here on Off The Podium. We have some great guests coming your way in the coming weeks. Next episode on the show, let's tick off another sport on Off The Podium that we've never covered before. It's one of my favourites and I'm so sad that it's taken us so long to get to this sport. We are getting into handball. That's right, 
Handball. I absolutely love handball. And our very first guest from the sport, we are going to be speaking to Haven Wong, Team Canada member, represented Canada at the Pan Am Games in 2019 and still a current squad member on Team Canada. And she goes into detail about the sport in general, what's it like to play handball in Canada and hopes for Team Canada to return to the Olympics for the first time since 1976 in the sport of handball. It's a great chat that's coming up next for you on Off the Podium. So to not miss an episode, remember to subscribe to us on all the good podcast channels and you will get those directly to your device, your speakers, however you listen to the show. Social media as well, Off the Podium. Remember to follow us on all of those to stay up to date with everything that we have going on. And we always appreciate hearing from you. If you want to let us know what you think of Jackie, if you want me to pass on a message and you want to get involved in Skeleton, drop us a message and we definitely will appreciate that as we appreciate your support out there listening to the show. Big thanks again to Jackie. Big thanks again to you for listening to the show. My name is Ben. This is Off the Podium. Shout out to the Birmingham Bull. Remember to go left and fizzle dizzle. When the stars make it through just like pasta when you dance down the street with the club at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Senor. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's a